Hot topic, electrification. We have made the commitment to go zero emissions by 2040. We have put in our budget to get 20 electric buses starting in March of next year. We've placed the order already. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged, in depth this week with Melinda Metzger, Executive Director of Pace Suburban Bus, one of the largest bus and paratransit systems in the United States in the Chicago suburban area. On today's episode, we talk about her partnership with community colleges to train CDL drivers, their move ahead with electric buses, and the recent visit of Secretary Buttigieg to help them open their new Pace bus facility in Joliet, Illinois, and some interesting uh, perspectives on making sure that public transit buses are faster than cars and why that's important to riders and how they've done it there at Pace Suburban Bus. All that on this episode I know you'll enjoy an in-depth interview with Melinda Metzger, the first woman CEO of Pace Suburban Bus. And I'm excited to have with us as our guest today, Melinda Metzger, longtime industry professional and now the first woman CEO of Pace Suburban Bus in Chicago, Illinois. Melinda, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate being here. So we always like to start out with having our guests kind of tell us a little about yourself and your background. I know you've been in the industry a while and you've had some great experience there at Pace. Tell us about your background experience and how you came to become the, the CEO, the executive director of is it the largest? It's, it's probably the largest bus service in the country, isn't it? It is one of the largest bus yeah. companies in all bus companies in the country. And I actually started out as an intern in one of our garages. So I was hired to do what was called back then 504 regulations. Oh, it yeah. was before the ADA regulations. And I was doing the ADA component of our fixed route service in that garage. And what I found is I fell in love with operations and I stayed at that garage location, Nortran, uh, which is now our Pace Northwest division. And um, I became manager of that garage. And then I left there to go to the RTA to do operations planning at the RTA. And um, after that, the RTA split up in 1984 into three service boards, Metro, Pace, CTA, and the RTA is the overall funding organization. So I went with Suburban Bus and led operations planning there. And since I had the operations background at that time, we had four divisions that were run by a contractor. And I made the decision that we could run these services ourselves and and brought that to the board. And so we became an operating entity in 1985. So I've had a long career of um, being able to make some changes in the industry and, and have had some great people working along with me. So very pleased to be at this point now. And when were you named uh, CEO or executive director? I'd been acting since January 1 of this year, and I was officially appointed in April 1st. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, for context, Chicago is, is it the second or third largest city in America after New York? It's you, LA, and New York, right? Top three cities? That's correct. And so explain to us how the different transit agencies that you just mentioned a minute ago, Metra and CTA and Pace, you know, what's the role of each one? Yeah, so CTA runs the rail and, um, you know, the rapid transit rail and buses in the city of Chicago. Metro runs the heavy rail in the six county region. And we're responsible for the suburban bus service in the six county region. 
But in 2006, the state legislators came to Pace and said, we also want you to take over the ADA service for the whole six county region. It was formally split between CTA and ourselves and they felt it would be better under one organization. And so we took over the whole paratransit operation in the city of Chicago and in the suburbs. Wow. Do you contract that out? We contract most of it out. We do have one division that is operating paratransit service. We like operating things to see how what works, what doesn't work, and then you know put into play other places. But PACE is a very large entity. We cover an area of 3,500 uh, square miles, which is about the size of the state of Connecticut. Mm. On any given day, pre-COVID, we had about 2,500 vehicles out on the road. We have a board of directors that are either mayors or ex-mayors. And why is that important? It's important because they all are local officials and um, they bring back the local feedback to PACE to make sure we're doing a good job. We have 272 communities we go through. Wow. That's amazing, Melinda. Of those vehicles that you said you had on the road, break that down between fixed route and paratransit for me, if you can. Sure. We have about 700 fixed route buses, big buses. We have about 500 paratransit vehicles in the suburbs, about 800 in the city of Chicago. Plus, we have one of the largest van pool programs in the country, about another uh, 600 van pools, again, all pre-COVID. That's amazing. What are the hot topics right now at PACE? Hot topic, electrification. We have made the commitment to go zero emissions by 2040. We're starting out with electrification right now. We have put in our budget to get 20 electric buses starting in March of next year. We've placed the order already, and those buses will be starting at our Waukegan garage in our North Division garage. And why the Waukegan garage? Number one, we looked at all of our facilities and and decided that for equity reasons, that would be a great place to start. And also they're a contained location so they can use electric buses with, you know, the amount of miles that they have to go. We're right now in a study like probably most major transit agencies. We're looking at all of our facilities. We're looking at all our runs and our blocks to make sure that we can do electric buses. We already know we have some runs that you can't do electrification on as it exists now. And the reason I say that things change, it's like when you buy an iPhone 10, you want the iPhone 13, you know, everything changes, technology changes. So we feel that the electrification, the amount of miles that the electric bus can go will be longer in the future. So what we're creating is what we call a living document, which is here's where we are today. We know in a couple of years, we're going to change this document and we're going to be putting more electric buses out. We're also looking at hydrogen fuel cell buses. And we were always a leader in getting better, more efficient equipment, more equipment that is better for the environment. We um, had some hybrid electric buses in our fleet and we have a whole garage of CNG buses. And we have another garage that is planned to be Uh, CNG buses, our Northwest garage, although that will probably be a mix now of CNG and electric as we proceed on out. Yeah. Many agencies I'm talking to don't want to put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. And so they're looking at having two or three fuel sources. And like you mentioned, hydrogen seems to be up and coming. Yeah. We're very interested in that, especially for our CNG garages, because you can convert those buses to hydrogen fuel cell. For us, we have to get a good source of hydrogen in the Midwest, and I think that is coming also. So we are also very interested in that. 
That's great. One of the other big topics right now in the industry is the dearth of drivers. <laughs> you know, the great resignation has hit our industry. What are you doing about that? I am really excited about what we're doing with that. We have partnered up with Olive Harvey College, which is a city of Chicago college system on the south side of the city. And we are paying for people to go through their program. We'll pay the tuition and we will pay um, for them to get their CDL permit. And we will, um, after they get through their CDL permit, Olive Harvey College turns them over to us and we do the training to make them into professional bus operators. And we just had uh, the graduation of our first couple of classes earlier this week. And it was very exciting. These are people who are looking for either a career change or were in industries where they get paid, you know, just minimum wage. When you come into our industry, we pay you well. We have great benefits. It's not easy work. It's hard work, but you get paid and compensated for that hard work. And I'm very excited that these new people are so enthusiastic. They came from other industries where they weren't getting that kind of recognition. And so uh, we started with Olive Harvard College. And since this program is up and running, we have a lot of other community colleges that are very interested in working with us to get people trained. Because if they can get people in the door, train them, and then they have jobs waiting for them, what better thing for a community yeah. college to do? That's great. And then do you know how long your training program is afterwards? I know at the MTA, when we would hire somebody without a, a CDL, the whole training was about 10 weeks long. So I'm sure you're able to do it in less if they come in with their CDL, right? Well, we do it in eight weeks. So you take the two weeks <laughs> out, it equals about the same thing. But you know, we, we are very sincere and careful with our employees to make sure that when we let them out that door, they're safe drivers and they're ready to go. So it is Absolutely. about eight weeks. Absolutely. That's wonderful. I can't wait to continue to hear results out of that program. I think that's something that has been long needed is, you know, a feeder source of drivers, so to speak, into our system. Yeah, I, me too. And and again, it was exciting for me to see how happy these um, new employees were to come into our system. They want to be bus drivers. They just didn't know how to get there. So now we yeah. can get them there. How about on the mechanical side? You know, uh, skilled mechanics are also uh, have retired a lot over the last couple of years is what I've heard across the industry. Yes, we are just starting to get into that with our mechanics too. We still, they're a little lag between the drivers and the mechanics, but we are working with community colleges on that aspect of it also, training mechanics, bringing them into the system. And we're also looking towards the future because what we see is that our diesel mechanics, we've already had a transition. We had a group of diesel mechanics that became CNG mechanics. Oh, yeah. And now we have to have a group of diesel and CNG mechanics become electri electrification managers, you know, we're going to teach them how to be more like an electrician. So that that is also in the works right now. Yeah, I think that's another way for us, don't you think, to attract new people to the skilled mechanics is that, you know, we're teaching them now the latest and greatest, you know, high tech training skills. Absolutely. And I think the, the one thing that always amazes me is with as much technology we have on these buses, I don't even know how we have enough power to get them out the door. We just keep on throwing cameras and radio yeah, systems yeah. and you know intelligent bus systems on them. And then we expect our employees to know how to maintain that. And so it's a constant learning and upping their skill level so that um, they can maintain the new um, things we put on buses. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you recently had a Secretary Buttigieg come visit your operation there. He's kind of... Uh, you know, uh, very well known, especially in our circles as Secretary of Transportation. And you opened up a new bus facility in Joliet. 
Correct. We had the Secretary of Transportation on our property. We had a state Congressman Foster, and we had the governor of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, all on our property at one time. And that's the first time we've had those kind of level yeah. of people, all three on a property at one time. And uh, Secretary Buttigieg was amazing. We got to spend three hours with them. Yeah, we first uh, did a roundtable with them where we talked about zero emission buses and what we need from the federal government. You know, one of the things that I that I did say to him is that if the federal government is really interested in everybody moving forward more quickly on zero emission, one of the things they can do is release bus companies to maybe have a 10-year life on just this one fleet, this one diesel fleet, instead of a 12-year life that we're required to do in the U.S. Um, so we talked about that a little bit. And then we talked about the hiring demands that we all have in the educating of, as you said, our maintenance people, but also you know, some of the new things that we're doing with the training at the community college level. So it was a very good meeting. And then we went over to the terminal. We took a bus ride over to the terminal. We were at a college, at a community college. We then went over to the terminal on the bus and talked about some of the new programs that we're doing on the bus ride. And, and one of the things that we're just now implementing is what we call Van Gogh. Like every other transit agency in the country, we need to figure out the first mile, last mile aspect of what we do. Right now, because people are working from home, we have more vans that are sitting with us and not in service because people aren't using our van pool program to go in. So we came up with a program whereby you can register with us, you have to get, follow all of our safety rules, et cetera, but you can take one of our vans from a metro station on a you know once, twice a week basis. You just call us the day before, let us know you're going to a metro station. We will then um, give you a code to access our vehicle and there's a lockbox inside with a key in it, and that code will also open that uh, lockbox. You can take the, the van from the metro station to your place of work. At night, you return it, get back on the train, and at that point, we will fuel the vehicle and maintain it and be ready for somebody else the next day. Wow. It's that's first it. in the country. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about that, too. So that's kind of like your own personal micro-mobility for people. Exactly. And we'll see how it works. You know, it's one of an arsenal of um, items that we have in our system. We have our, you know, regular van pool program. We have our first TNC project up and running in DuPage County that came out of the, the necessity of COVID again. So what occurred is in DuPage County, we don't have enough drivers for our ADA service. And it wasn't meeting the standards that we'd like to see. And it was being overcrowded, et cetera. So we um, partnered up with Uber and Uber is it's a user side subsidy. So if you're in DuPage County and you don't want to take the paratransit system, you can move on to the Uber system. And we started out with 300 rides the first month and we're up to about 3000 rides by the third month. So people are using Uber instead of our ADA service, which is fine because that leaves it open for people who really need the ADA service. We're, we're trying all sorts of new things to, to help us during this time when we have a labor crunch. Yeah. Do you subsidize the Uber trip for them? We do. We, we subsidize the Uber trip up to $30. And it's the same thing that we're doing in the city of Chicago. In the city of Chicago, we have our taxi access program which is if you don't take our ADA service and you use taxis in the city of Chicago, we will subsidize up to $30.
And that has really kind of saved the taxi industry during the COVID period because we yeah. had a lot of customers who were using it. And it also helped us because we went down in COVID, it was one rider per vehicle. And we just couldn't handle that. So we moved some of the people by their choice, moved over to um, the taxi system. That's great. We just interviewed Jen Shepard and she was on the, I just interviewed her actually like an hour ago. She's the head of Uber Transit and she'll be the guest on the show. She was the guest just before this one for you. So a good uh, one-two punch there to talk about uh, how it's actually being utilized. Sounds like people are enjoying the option to use a TNC. They, they are. We've gotten really good feedback. And the one thing that we are working on with Uber is we still have to get that mobility component going on the Uber side. And um, we're working with them on that. We also have a couple of bids out on the street and we're not locked in with any one vendor and for TNCs to operate in our ADA environment. And those will be coming in the next couple of months. So we'll have yeah. more service out there. I think that's good, uh, you know, a TNC that can meet the FTA requirements, right? With background checks and drug tests and all that. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Uh, they don't seem to be having as much trouble attracting drivers because they're, you know, they're reaching to a different network of people. Somebody who doesn't want to come in for an eight hour shift in a uniform and drive your vehicle, but they don't mind doing a three hour shift from their house in their car and pick up 50 bucks. So they, they seem to be able to kind of fill in, like you said, that gap for us. Yeah. I think the one question I have, like in everything else, you have to have this whole group of services because you throw all your basket into TNC and then right. you won't be able to do your ADA portion on a day when you know somebody doesn't want to drive. Yes. So you really have to have a mix of things that you're doing in order to do this right. Yeah. Blended approach, just like fuels, like we were talking about. Right. Uh, Not all your eggs in one basket. I think in this crazy time, that's probably smart. Hey, tell us about like recovering from COVID. Where are you all at as an agency with people coming into the office and ridership and all that stuff now that we're in June of 2022? Yeah, it's been an amazing experience. First of all, since um, when COVID started, we went down to in our corporate offices, just having a poor group of people in Okay. That lasted a couple of months, and then we went into what we call um, alternate days, A's and B's groups. So somebody works Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and another group comes in Tuesday, Thursday. And that has been our ongoing way of handling it. We have our employees switching out in the building. We just don't want that many people in our buildings at one time. It also is our backup system. When someone gets sick, there's someone else out to do what needs to get done. And I have to say, overall, we have been a very safe system. Our employees have been healthy. Everybody, you know, there's been people who have gotten COVID, including myself, but we've handled it very well. So it wasn't throughout our system. With regard to our our service, I think what COVID proved beyond a doubt is that we are essential. Bus service is essential yes. to, to getting the healthcare workers the, to their jobs, to getting people on their, our vehicles to go um, to the grocery stores, to their medical appointments. And I think it has given a new look at how important buses are to the United States that really wasn't thought of that way before COVID. That's right. I've been saying that uh, for a few months now that it's almost like public transportation prior to COVID was seen primarily as a local responsibility. And now, like you said, it's become a national priority. And I think the funding that's coming from the federal government is recognition of that. Uh, And that was really my next question for you was, how are you sitting for funding with ARPA and the new 40% general increase in 5307 funds, et cetera, coming from the feds? How are you sitting for funding going forward in future fiscal years? What's it look like for you? 
And so let me back up with all the, the federal, the CARES Act funding, right. um, all of that funding without that, we couldn't have gone on. And, you know, when we talked a little bit about how we're doing in COVID in the beginning, we we're looking at, our, at ourselves saying, I don't know how we're going to go on, you know, we'll figure it out. And now we have the funding. And so why it is very exciting to me to be in this position now is we have the funding to do the right things that need to get done for transit and to build the transit agency of the future. Our budget for all of the CARES funding, et cetera, should carry us through 2024. We're still okay. looking at where beyond if we can go, but we should be okay through 2024. And with the infrastructure money that we're getting, we're able to do some building for the future. We have a, a lot of new uh, projects that we're in the midst of building. We have projects that are right now about to get started. So all of that gets tied together and we can build a beautiful transportation system for the future. And I think it's the right time. I think you have a younger generation that is worried about the environment, doesn't want to have a car, wants to ride transportation. So we have to be faster than the car. We have to be efficient. We have to be a local. We have to be there so that they can get on the bus, ride the bus without stops, get to where they're going. And we're positioned very well to do that, especially because we have different programs in place. We have our bus on shoulder program that gets people, you know, to the central business district really quickly and out from the central business district to like local colleges and jobs out in the suburbs. And that has been a major focus of ours to be faster than the car. Yeah, that's key. I remember when I was writing my book, Future Public Transportation, I was talking to the folks from the Visa credit card and they had just done a survey. And, you know, why don't, you know, why don't people ride transit? And that was one of the top like three problems that people said is, you know, I feel like I could walk almost faster or jog almost faster than a bus. There's so many stops. They're stuck in the same traffic. Tell us about that program you've got where you have bus on shoulder. Yes. Yeah. So we started that coming from the Southwest suburbs into the city. Okay. And I was on the first ride 10 years ago, you know, because wow. there was a lot of question whether we can do it. You know, we're coming on the shoulder, then we have to merge in if there's a car on the shoulder or something's right. blocking us. And they're like, there's going to be accidents. It's going to be horrible. And so we had to prove it. So I was on the, the first run. And I, I will say, so as we pulled off onto the shoulder, the cars that were stuck in traffic were sending me some nasty signals with their yeah. finger. But once uh, they realized what we're doing and that we do move in very safely, and uh, we've had no accidents on the shoulder. There have been accidents where people have hit other cars and then hit us, but we've yeah. had no accidents on the shoulder. And our ridership went up 600% because we were, oh, we were faster than the car. You can park in one of our park and ride lots, hop on the bus, and we would get you downtown in an hour. That's so it, great. it really is a good program for us. And then we added that on. We started working with the toll authority here to add that on to I-90. We have a flex lane on I-90. We're now working with the toll authority on 294. And last question on COVID, where are you at as a percentage of pre-COVID ridership now in June of 2022, would you say? We're back to 65% of where we were before. On the ADA side of it, we are close to 100%. And mm. really where that comes from is our ADA passengers do not have other choices. So they are coming back quicker than our fixed route riders. But we're at about 65% of where we were before. That's interesting. Yeah. And what else do you want to share? We're nearing the end of the time here, but is there any other hot topics or interesting things you'd like to share with our listeners? 
I think the big topic in my mind, what I've learned from all of this, what's so important is partnerships. You know, we I just yesterday was out in Kane County and, and Pace got an award because we partnered with them for our COVID response and helping them get all of their people vaccinated. And, you know, that's just one example. We partnered with them. We partnered with the toll authority. We're partnering with CTA and Metro. The idea of transit not working together is totally different now. Everybody's working together to try and help the other agency retain riders, get new riders. Cook County came forth to us and gave us funding to do fair transit where um, on Metro, the fares are reduced. They gave us money to increase our headways from they were half an hour to 10 minutes in some cases on Austin Street. So my give, my my takeaway from all of this is we're better together and we've got to you know, partner with all the agencies that we're involved with to, to do better service for all of our constituents. That's wonderful. Well, I wish you the very best as you continue to do that. It sounds like you've got a great background for it. I love seeing very experienced people get these positions. It's great That's to see great. that you've got the experience level there to really take Pace Suburban Bus, one of the largest bus systems in the country, to the next level as we come out of COVID and hopefully to a bright new future. Thank you so much, Paul. This is a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trends and Unplugged In-Depth with our special guest, Melinda Metzger. Next week on Trends and Unplugged News and Views, we have Tom Wright, President and CEO of RPA, Regional Planning Association. They focus on improving the prosperity, sustainability, and livability of people in the New York metropolitan area, which is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. If you ever have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Trends and Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.